see, this is the problem. Like Emma was like, I have an idea. I'm like, oh, it's a great idea. We should do it. We should yeah. absolutely. Can you get to LA? Should I come to you? Do I bring my camera? Like Gabe. And we're, and we're the Ghouls, the ghouls Next, Next Door. Door. Talk about spooky stuff. As we do. Yes. And it is a super special episode in For the spooky times of our other super special episodes. Uh, and that you get double dose this week because uh, we have a really cool interview with some amazing creators in uh, a film that is right up our alley. Yeah. <laughs> it's like made for, it made for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just in that you, uh, our listeners, know how much we appreciate uh, horror media that is intentional and is aiming to combat real-life horrors and educate people in an entertaining way, or as we call it, edutainment. And this film fits that bill perfectly. Facts. 100%. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, so we are talking about a really great film called Take Back the Night, and we're going to be talking to the creators of it to kind of pick their mind on the creation of it um, and also to kind of fangirl, fangool about <laughs> how we feel about the film. Uh, so I would like to invite Gia Elliott and Emma Fitzpatrick of Take Back the Night. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for having us. Yes. We're super excited. Um, thank you for you know talking to us before the premiere of this phenomenal film. It, it will yeah. be premiering at uh, Popcorn Fest, right? Popcorn Frights in, yes. in South Florida. That's so cool. I'm originally from Florida, so yeah, I love it. So August 14th, it'll be premiering. Uh, this has been a film that has been years in the making, years in the making. Uh, But like a lot of the films that we have covered where they're kind of tackling social issues, I find that like, and I'll, you know, this will be a question at some point. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I find that like, even though it's, it takes all this time to either get picked up or created that not much has to change because those issues are still very relevant. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is still an issue. This is still a problem that we have to work through. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I feel like we, we see that often um, with this, but I just want to introduce you all and then Kat will um, give the brief synopsis of the film so then we can dive right into uh, the questions. So we awesome. have Gia Elliott, who is a writer and director and graduated from Belmont University uh, with degrees in English writing, English literature, and in entertainment industry economics, and is the writer and director of Take Back the Night. And we have Emma Fitzpatrick, is an actress and producer known for The Social Network, The Collection, and In Time, and is the co-writer for Take Back the Night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Kat, what is Take Back the Night about? Yes, Take Back the Night, uh, finding herself the victim of a violent monster attack, Jane launches a vigilante campaign to hunt the beast that tried to kill her. Jane's efforts intensify, but her troubling history of drug use and mental illness bubbles to the surface, causing her family, community, and authorities to question the authenticity of her account. 
Suddenly alone in her fight, Jane starts to doubt her own memory of the attack, to doubt if the monster exists at all. It does. It always does. Because the monsters are real, as you all say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, I wanted to kick it off with um, talking specifically, like um, like you said, it was like four to five years of of development just to to get this made. And now it's finally, you know, coming out. Um, But I wanted to, to hear about the the origin story of this film like why this film like what inspired you to to make a film that was directly combating (laughs) what we see a lot in uh horror media great question um emma and i have reflected a lot on our origin story especially recently um there were a few you know elements coming together at once um and you know, ultimately Emma and I realized we were interested in a lot of the same subject matter. She had been sort of studying and researching trauma and the effects of trauma on the brain, especially how it impacts sexual assault survivors. And I had just come from, I had dropped out of law school, but I was in law school for a year. And in my year there, I sat on a bench next to a judge in the criminal circuit of New York City. And I watched a lot of these cases, um, you know, get prosecuted. And so we were studying those things and, you know, we were just like discussing a lot of women's issues. And so we formed a book club to (laughs) come together and read and, you know, intellectually enrich each other um, in a group setting. And it was, I think, so addicting that we couldn't get enough and we sort of expanded our efforts into, um, writing. And, you know, Emma is a scream queen. She's such a phenomenal actor. She's in some great titles. And I had made a queer rom-com web series um, that was distributed by Gunpowder and Sky. And so we kind of fell into a a natural pattern of discussing these issues and thinking about um, how we might bring them to life in film. And it sort of was this organic process where, you know, we were really passionate about the ideas. We would stay up late at night talking about them. We'd burn all our hours on the weekend thinking about ways to dramatize the story that wasn't homeworky and it wasn't preaching to the choir. Um, we wanted it to be accessible to a large audience. Um, you know, we didn't want to make a documentary because we thought the people most likely to watch it would be people that kind of already agree with us and are already sort of naturally set to fight for those issues. And so we sort of settled upon this idea of just making it as fun as possible, um, taking a really unfun subject and making it as fun as possible. And uh, we kind of thought there was no better way to do that than to make it a straight allegory and and turn sexual assault into a monster. And so, you know, people, survivors of sexual assault, people who, who deal with this topic, you know, in their everyday lives in really unfortunate ways could have sort of a moment of respite of being able to tap into something that is a big part of their lives and is important to them, but um, could potentially hopefully kind of dance around any potential triggers and then provide a bit of catharsis in the end. And that was sort of our goal. And um, yeah, so we just kind of started writing it together and picked up a camera, started shooting. Turns out two people alone shooting is a little hard. And so (laughs) the third producer, Kwan's a good and amazing, amazingly talented filmmaker, um, Jack of all trades. She can, she can do it all. And so she was really the missing ingredient. And so we brought her on and, you know, the three of us, um, it just sort of snowballed from there. Awesome. Yeah. That was a that was a great answer. I have nothing to add. <laughs> it's gonna and now she, I rest. <laughs> she, she hit all the bases. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, I, you know, I think one of the most interesting things about horror that people often just miss out on when they just kind of dismiss it as just being like slashers and like, you know, blood and gore is understanding that a lot of the time, you know, these monsters are representing real things. And often it's, it's people that are the horror, right? It's not really the monster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's think about this. Um, yeah. And we appreciate when things are like, you don't have to think too hard. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's right there right on the nose on what it is that you want to know um, because people can be lazy um, <laughs> with their media analysis where I was like, put your media analysis glasses on and really see what it is. Um, so I appreciate that uh, you can sit back and relax and watch this film as just like a horror film and, you know, get spooked and get stressed and be like super anxious. Uh, but you're also learning something. You're also like uh, providing a space for like empathy and understanding for specific issues and any like uh, probably like femme presenting person or anyone who's, who's uh, had similar trauma can really like feel that and be put into those places. Um, and I really appreciated uh, the respect that the film took uh, with some of these uh, ideas and uh, instances. And we'll definitely dive into <laughs> to that as well. Um, but Kat, I'm going to pass it to you for your next question. Yeah. Um, so you guys mentioned like your research end, and I was really interested in that just because uh, I used to work in education and a lot of what my research end used to be was how trauma impacts the brain. Um, so it's like super exciting that like other people are learning about that, but also like using it in media, because I feel like lots of people try to make media that totally misses the mark or is like ends up doing more damage than what they were setting out to do. And this film like doesn't do, like it was really great. I was pleasantly like, not surprised, but like, just be like, thank goodness. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, happy that the stressful element, like in the essence that you, I remember when we, uh, you mentioned earlier that like when sexual assault is like shown on screen, it's like reliving that in like trauma, like it, and it yeah. feels like voyeuristic and gross. And it's, it was really refreshing to like not have that. Um, but you mentioned that the justice system ignores the impact of trauma on memory storage and psychological coding, which I thought was super interesting. And like what in your research of trauma responses and the storage of mem memory like helped influence this? What were your findings? That kind of stuff. <laughs> we, um, we particularly tried to make Jane someone that was equal parts likable, um, but also someone that you would be able to easily doubt or disbelieve because I think the the core of the story that we really wanted to tell was less about assault and more about victim blaming. Um, so we, and, and sort of what you were just talking about when we were talking about things that are the scariest, um, one of the things that we had landed on was just the horror of what it would be like to be someone who had the courage to go forward and tell authorities or their family or whoever that this had happened to them um, or that, that an assault had occurred. And then just all of the myriad of ways that the system alone can fail you. Um, and a lot of that is because people are not educated about what trauma can look like and um, and many of the reasons that people are disbelieved or disregarded, you know, case thrown out, prosecutor doesn't pursue, um, it, it doesn't even make it to those points because people don't know that 
if your if your story changes, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're lying, or if you can't remember details, or you know the, these kind of things where it it does take um, it does take education at some basic levels. And uh, G and I have been talking about this a lot, just how that's sort of the first step to empathy, and that's the only way we're really gonna get any results in this in this arena. I think. Yeah. Did that answer the question? Yes. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if you wanted to enter anything in, so oh. I was like not trying to interrupt. <laughs> I have, I have loads to say on the subject. Um, specifically as it pertains to the justice system and to law, the way that um, a sexual violence case is tried and the ways that the laws are written, the responsibility of proving that it happened falls on the the survivor of the assault and you run into loads of problems down to like where lawmakers have chosen to put a comma or where they have ignored to put the word and uh, you know the word forceful um is in a lot of these and that's very difficult to prove so you know a woman whose fingernails are torn off has a lot better of a shot than you know um a survivor whose fingernails were not torn off because proving that they tried to claw their way out of it which is fucking gruesome um yeah. The fact that these kinds of things actually like pass out of the mouths of lawyers and suits is like horrendous to me on some level. And mm -hmm. also, you know, so because all the burden is on the survivor, you're suddenly everything that they do is up for either to support or cut against their claim. Um, and the way that, you know, you behave in the wake of trauma and the ways that PTSD affects your behavior um, are easily misconstrued to back to Emma's point. And, and, and that makes you somewhat you appear to be, uh, you know, unbelievable. And then your case falls apart and there goes your shot at justice, which, you know, you only had 6% of a chance to start with. So, uh, if they're taking it to trial. So, yeah, I mean, loads of things can be done. Um, in the writings of, of the law, but probably the easiest thing that could be done now is simply change. Um, there's a lot of like really great legal scholars pushing for uh, reform like this, but just changing literally the way that questions are asked to these people during intake um, mm -hmm. would make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Kat actually had um, a good question about that. Yeah. Like it literally led really nicely. Um, so like viewing the film, I felt very stressed every time the detective was interrogating uh, Emma's character, uh, Jane. Uh, and essentially how quickly the detective switched from calm and empathetic demeanor from the beginning uh, to very accusatory and aggressive um, an approach to their interrogation. Very much like not how anyone should be talking to somebody who has been like attacked violently um, in terms of like, just like, triggers and the fact that they've gone through a lot of trauma like that's not how very even if like yeah like even if it was like even slightly in question like you don't uh, like mm -hmm. verbally attack someone who's going through that so it just felt really real for me and uh what was your process in setting up those scenes was it based on like what you witnessed in your work or was it just like creative <laughs> freedoms both um yeah. to write a lot of the intake dialogue uh where they're in the hospital um, in the wake of the event, um, we pulled a lot of like actual scripts that the detectives learn um, to read to mm -hmm. them. Um, some of it got cut down 
at the top, but a lot of those questions sort of came out of that. And then, you know, the rest was sort of a combination of things we had seen or heard, read about, and then also just sort of imagined, you know, with Emma's got a lot lot of really great things to say about um, the ways that the lack of empathy in the justice systems reflected across a lot of different movements and then just fundamentally fails the people setting out to serve. Um, But obviously a very big problem is the conviction rate. You know, uh, there's a lot of pressure on the detectives internally to convict. And so they've got bosses and their bosses have bosses and they're all looking at cold numbers, not people. And, you know, if they feel like their case is threatened and their position in the force is threatened, then, you know, those personal factors bleed into their work. And so, you know, we were trying to get at some of that too. Like maybe even the detective is under some sort of, you know, patriarchal system of her own and she's facing mm-hmm. other pressures. And that's I had read some, I had read some statistic about how uh, a large percentage of specifically women, um, women police officers doing these kind of intake questions are more likely to disbelieve a victim if they, if it doesn't look exactly like their own assault, mm. um, which I thought was very interesting. And I think we did um, try to write that into Jen's character. Um, mm. Just a, just a sprinkling of it, just because that blew my mind, you know, that if, if the officer had experienced an assault in her own life, um, or I guess his life, but I think this was mostly focusing on female identifying officers, um, that they actually were less likely to take seriously the victim, uh, if it didn't, if they didn't fight back the way that she had, or if they, you know, exactly, if they didn't have the, the right wounds or if they weren't crying, you know, whatever, whatever people think a victim is supposed to look like. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely woven into there. And if that's not internalized patriarchal shame. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely picked up on that. It's, I feel like we're all in the same wavelength because that was leading right into my next question, which was that I, I found it, um, very interesting that besides like the, the monster, right. The, the, like the mythical thing, right. <laughs> like the, the thing that's like the horror, the real life, like aggressors that, uh, she's having to deal with are women. Um, in the fact that it's the, the journalists and the detectives, even the followers online. Um, and I was like, I picked up on that. I even in my notes, I was like, no one wins in the patriarchy. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I I think, uh, so I see, I definitely see that um, intentionality with a detective in that, like, you know, it's, it's easy to dismiss like uh, someone else who doesn't look like the same trauma as yours in that, you know, there's also a defense to that too, of being like, you might invalidate what it looks like if you're not being like, if you're not telling the truth or like, how dare you uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, make believe. So I can, I can the see that. keeping of sorts. Yeah. 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 Um, but with the, uh, was there also intentionality behind having the journalists be a woman and manipulating that? And also like the followers. I think more so, and Gia, you can take this too, but I think more so we just didn't want to put any men in the film um just from the get we so every character happens to be female identifying because we made a decision when we started writing it like 
that we didn't need that perspective. Um, mm. And, you know, like, let's take it to the extreme. I don't want to even see them in the film. I don't want to, you know, cause we don't need to focus on that at all. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, so I don't think that was intentional in the sense of like women attacking women, just more so we were, you know, trying to, sh trying to show how losing all of these support systems one at a time is what leads Jane to doubting herself and doubting her own experience. Um, and this is very true of trauma and, and survivors, um, in, in every step of, yeah. no matter, no matter what step you are in, in coming forward or, you know, going through the judi judicial system or whatever, so um, these these characters happen to be female, but um, I think it was more just about putting, you know, the the reporter represents the media, the mm -hmm. detective represents the judicial system, the sister represents, you know, your your family and your friends, um, and those were kind of the the touchstones we were trying to hit just to show her unraveling and how important all of those pieces are to supporting a victim. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I like, I thought a lot of the, you know, female relationships was really interesting too. I really enjoyed, uh, specifically the relationship between the sisters. Um, mm -hmm. I just thought it was like a really nice, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but a really nice way to show like how people deal with trauma very differently because mm -hmm. they seem to have a similar childhood trauma experience and, you know, the older sister leaning more towards, embracing or trying to like gain normalcy in her like her perception of normalcy by like leaning into getting like a real estate job getting married and like trying to start her life in that way and then her other sister like uh, Jane trying to like lean the opposite way like realizing they didn't have like a traditional childhood and just trying to like embrace that kind of untraditional in quotes kind of like lifestyle was that um was that like your goal with that? Or I just thought it was really interesting that, um, yeah, it just kind of showed that like people deal with trauma very different, differently. And that like when something that's like really big for somebody might be interpreted totally different or their healing process might be totally different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a somewhat lovely side effect um, of us trying to write a very realistic relationship of sisters. Um, and, you know, my experience with my own sibling is that, you know, you occupy the space that's not currently being occupied by your sibling. So, like, you know, you'll have, like, the, the shyer one and the louder one, you know. So, mm -hmm. kind of just balancing each other out, but then sharing so much of the same fundamental um, big events that happen to you, whether traumatic or high highs or low lows, um, you know, for the majority of childhood and then sort of just asking like, what are the different women that could kind of come from those? Um, and that's sort of how we arrived at the sister relationship. I will also mention that Angela Golner, the actress who plays the sister and Emma Fitzpatrick, obviously our star writer producer, she, uh, they have a pre-existing uh, actor relationship where they've worked together before. Oh, wow. And a lot of the filming was done, you know, um, during the writing process, even where we would take the camera and go set things up. And so Angela came on board very quickly into um, filming. And so a lot of the scenes we sort of found organically. And so, you know, some of the nice texture that you're getting between the sisters comes from uh, as a testament to the actresses and the performances that they they sort of created these characters. And then that sort of rippled back into the writing. Um, but I, to your point, I do think that 
it is true that it, you know, it's sort of two, two sides of the same coin of different ways that people can respond to a traumatic event. Yeah, very cool. I love that. That's like so fun that like it happened organically. Like it, it's just fun when like stuff like that starts to develop. Like you have like such an intentional idea that you're going in and that that like was the result. It like was really cool for yeah. me to see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually like the process of having sort of an organic live wire that we're all dealing with and then we're all trying to protect the allegory to the best of our ability and make sure that we honor it, but still have a like a movie that feels fun and has an art. That was, I think, probably our biggest challenge was being like the safeguards of, you know, the, those details that you're picking up on. So it's really fun to see you enumerate so many of them. <laughs> yeah, we got it. You did it. Good job. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, we do this show. We've been doing it for almost four years. Um, and we have found often that horror can one act as like a tool of catharsis and help with people healing and kind of living through and having like an end in like a, an empowering finish to, you know, then inspire their own kind of healing. Uh, and then on the other side, we've also seen some really harmful uh, just tropes and, and representations yeah. specifically of like mental illness. I even think mm. there's, um, there's a film that Kat and I loathe uh, it's one of the few films that we just like absolutely abhor um, called Contracted, uh, hate it, uh, that has similar uh, themes in, in that like there is an assault um, and it's dismissed and there's supposed to be authority figures that are like, you know, uh, not taking it seriously, but the creators also didn't seem to take it seriously or understand what they were doing. Uh, mm. So it just was very gross. Um, and so like to see like those things done correctly like in, in this like uh, way that just, it didn't feel like an attack <laughs> to people mm -hmm. um, who've already, you know, have this issue. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to uh, pick your brains about what you feel like in horror um, there is a lack of, or like that, you know, just horror creators could do better uh, <laughs> to create like uh, similar to what you all are doing. Yeah. Emma is like a glorified scream queen. I'm sure she gets, reads a lot more horror scripts even than I have. So I'd love to hear what she has to say, what she would love to see more of. <gasps> oh, on the spot. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think, I think there's a place, there's obviously a place for this kind of film. Um, I'm actually a new, I'm sort of a new horror fan uh, in the recent years. I've, I've been in them for many years, but I always kind of shied away from watching them because I, I do, I scare very easily. Um, and it, it was like more stressful than fun for me in the yeah. past. And I don't know, I don't know what's flipped. Um, maybe uh, I think too, like coming out of some of my first films being horror films. And I was, I think, feel like I was learning to act at the same time um, in the sense of like, you know, doing a scene in an acting class is one thing, but like shooting a, a horror film for a month is um, very stressful and like physically stressful. It can be. Um, and I, I remember after shooting this one, uh, the collection who Marcus Dunstan, who's one of our EPs on this film, um, he directed that and that's how we met. But I think for months after I had 
some some form of like PTSD from shooting this film where like the AC would kick on in my room at night and I would, you know, your brain just goes immediately to someone's in my house and being attacked because you've been tricking yourself into that space. So, um, sorry, I'm going such a long loop around this, but, um, what I was going to say is I'm not, I don't think I'm like an authority on horror films so much, but what I don't like when I'm reading a horror script or when I get into it is just the like torture porn for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. Um, I don't like seeing people dismembered or murdered or whatever, just for the shock value. Um, and that's just personal. I, you know, some people think that's fun. Uh, but I, yeah, I like, I think I like horror more when it's on the thriller side or when it's, um, when the story is just as good without seeing the gore, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Just it's funny that you should talk about like the making of horror movies because that's also I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, as I set up my second film, and I just daydream about having enough money to provide better resources for the actors. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so like if we're shooting on location, making sure that at at night that they get to go back to a space that's comforting, you know, like little Mm -hmm. things that I think could add up to make like the filming of horror, um, like more fair psychically for, especially for the actors. And so I've been thinking about a lot and I do wonder about some of these like big, big movies that have a huge budget and then have, you know, especially women, um, that like get put through the ringer, uh, Yeah, I wonder how those actresses are being taken care of. Well, I will tell you that, um, you know, it was emotionally and physically exhausting for me to be a part of some of those things. But mostly because that's and this is particular to every actor, but that's like I can't like pretend to cry. I have to like be fucked up to cry in a scene. So (laughs) I have to like you know, maintaining an emotional space that is exhausting, just is exhausting. But um, I never, one of the great things about Marcus Dunstan and the reason that I will always jump and do whatever he asks me to is because I, from the, from the very first moment I met him, he made it clear that I was very safe um, and that there was no time, you know, even just safe emotionally. Like if, if I was ever in a space where it was like, I don't want to you know, I can't, I've been pushed too far. I knew that this person was in my corner calling off the dogs and just being like, we'll pick it up later or whatever, you know? So, um, because it can be, uh, it can be traumatizing to stay in that space for a really long time. Um, so yeah, yeah, just, I'm not trained to do that. And I could go there emotionally and I too would trust Marcus Dunstan. (laughs) Yeah. He's just, um, yeah, he just made it clear from moment one that like I I was never out of control of my situation. So yeah. yeah. So then you're then you're more willing to like then you want to give them everything, you know. Yeah. You're just like beat me up, take it, take it all, you know, because you know you know you're in good hands. So. Yeah. 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 Gee, I really love your point. Like uh, that that should exist. Like a, a like a not maybe therapy, but maybe therapy, like just like things that are therapeutic for the actors. There's a long list of films that literally torture their actors for this mm-hmm. idea of authenticity. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, 
I would say like, I'm sure it was very emotionally draining doing this because you were, uh, Emma, you did cry in various scenes. It was stressful, but like, it seemed like I believed every second of this film. Like it felt very real to me. And I just was like, uh, there wasn't any point where I was like, that's not, you know, or like I personally, like whenever I witness inauthenticity, I feel physically uncomfortable. It's like a weird mm-hmm. character trait. <laughs> so there yeah. are movies when that happens, I'm like, Oh my God, I want to turn it off. But, but I didn't feel that at any point during this, but I felt like it was really interesting. Like I really love that idea because there's so many directors and like who do put specifically, like especially women in positions where they don't feel safe for like this, genuine fear response and that's like one just not okay two it is very voyeuristic in like violence against women but i just think it would be like really interesting to explore the potential for that mm-hmm. yeah you know there's some movements on sets uh, i forget what the role is called emma might know there, there's like um a sort of body movement choreographer safety expert being brought in on some films that have you know sex scenes or graphic like kind of I think they're they're intimacy coach or intimacy expert yeah 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 so you know there's a movement to start bringing those on um so that it's not just like whoever happens to be the producer and director and you're sort of like at their liberty um uh yeah and so I think that you know there could be a lot done in the space just yeah. for the people creating the art safety for them. Yeah. yeah. This all might be because Simone Biles. Maybe I'm just too moved to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mental health is important. Yeah. Um, especially when you're creating something so, you know, personal and sensitive. Um, and you want to do it in this way that feels authentic uh, so that people can relate to it, but also taking care of people. I love that that was you know, cause people often don't think about like what goes into creating the content and like, especially, you know, there's the, uh, the rape revenge trope in horror where it's often just, you know, Oh, it's empowering Sprinkled because the women are yeah. killing the men, but it's like, okay, but they still had like that actor still had to endure this trauma on set and what is happening for them after that. Like even beyond what you're trying to defend in this film, just the existence of it is problematic, which is, you know, why I really appreciate that that's not what's happening here. Um, And because, you know, oftentimes if we, you know, read about a film where it's gonna, like a horror film that's gonna cover uh, abuse in such a way where like already kind of on edge, like, oh God, don't be this. (laughs) Like, don't do the Mm -hmm. thing that everyone does. It's just gratuitous. Um, it's yeah. voyeuristic. It's just like, like we know, you know, like people know, yeah. people understand without having it right there in their face at that point, it's, it, it becomes a problem. Um, yeah. I also appreciate the lack of men in the film specifically after like this discussion. Cause I feel like it does happen often that men feel at liberty to use rape as a way to build depth in their women characters or like their motivation. And it was like yeah. cool to just like, not have that be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> we sort of had this dreamy idea um, of, you know, letting the people whose story it is tell it. Um, mm. And obviously we're such a small team. We're really like exhausting the available immediate resources. Um, but, you know, incorporating anybody who felt compelled to sort of participate in the telling of the story, uh, giving them, you know, a space to, to do that. And we really did try to build into our days, um, like 
you know, when we were formally shooting, like less sort of that discovery work that I was talking about earlier, and we were more on sort of formal shoot days, um, I we made a real point to try to have built into the schedule. Um, we would pre-scout and set all the shots um, ahead of time so that there was room at the end of every scene to ask the actors in it, is there anything that you would like to still explore here? Are there any shots you think that I should get? Is there any like gold that you see on mine? Is there anything, any more telling that you would like to do? Um, so, you know, even if it's 10 minutes reserved at the end of every scene, we really tried to make sure that the days were scheduled well in advance to build in as much room for that as possible. Wasn't as possible on the action days, but on the dialogue days, um, that was, I'm, I got, we got close. We got close to <laughs> almost every scene. So um, that was something that was important to us too. Yeah. I hope you get this money, man. I hope it, <laughs> so that you keep getting this stuff. Cause I, yeah, it's just, that's just awesome. I am thrilled. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very underappreciated. Um, so I definitely, I mean, you know, people who are listening, please make sure that you check out Take Back the Night. Um, I, you know, I just have a general question of, you know, we often try to have like next steps in our episodes whenever we, especially because we're covering like, you know, heavy topics, right? Like we're, you know, exposing some of these like raw, um, terrible things in society. And we don't want to just leave people with this like open wound of like, yeah, society's bad. It sucks. Sorry. Um, but you know, we also want to have like actionable next steps or, um, to kind of point them in a direction of like, okay, now, like, yeah, this is awful. Now, what do we do? How do we fix that? So what do you want like viewers to take from this film? And what do you see as being the next steps for viewers after watching this to be like, okay, like, I understand it. That was like, you know, a piece of catharsis. And now I want to go and fix this. It's an awesome question. Gia, what are your next steps? Oh, man. <laughs> um, there are several organizations I would recommend following. Uh, End Rape on Campus is a great one. Take Back the Night Proper is another really good one. Um, if you are impacted by sexual violence in any way, I want you to know that there are resources available to you. RAIN is an excellent organization, R-A-I-N-N, if I'm mm -hmm. not messing that up. Yeah. Um, those are like the big things that come to mind, just sort of, you know, figuring out what's in your area and how you could kind of participate in a local level. Um, Dolores Huerta, who, you know, is a huge civil rights activist. Um, she says frequently, there's power in your body. Uh, I believe it. And so, you know, if you can find something local, if you're really passionate about it, showing up with your body uh, is probably like the easiest, freest thing that you can do. Yeah. I also, I want to add the Joyful Heart Foundation, which is um, Mariska Hargitay, the, the actress mm. from Law & Order SVU. She does a lot mm. of amazing work. Um, and she did a documentary a couple hours, or a couple hours, a couple years ago, <laughs> um, about the rape kit backlog. Mm -hmm. And that that's her foundation. Um, they, they do a lot of work specifically with the rape kit backlog. And uh, she's, mm. you know, she's, gotten legislation passed and, um, all kinds of things. So I would, I would say like the goal of this film was just to open up a conversation, um, and to make people curious, you know, if you're watching it and seeing something that you, you didn't understand before about trauma or about victim blaming, I don't know, maybe makes you think twice the next time you hear about that friend of a friend of a friend or whatever. Um, and yeah. 
I just, I have taken to just really standing up for people in those circumstances, even if I don't know them, just like, Hey, you might not have this information. And so before you jump to a conclusion about whether or not so-and-so is lying, you know, maybe just understand that there are other, there are other factors at play. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just believe women, right? <laughs> just believe them. Yeah. Um, that's the start, right? It's a and good then... place to start. Yeah. <laughs> Solid foundation. <laughs> yeah. You think it wouldn't be too much to ask. Um, and then you're like, oh, uh, society. Um, <laughs> Kat, do you have any last uh, questions or thoughts? Yeah. I, there was some that we like didn't get to. And there was one that I like really liked. I just really love that Jane's character was an influencer. And I thought that was like a really great way to show how society's generally just judgmental. Um, and there are even moments where like it, the film really like took me through realizing some of my own biases too. Like I remember when she went live, I was like, oh, that's a bad idea. And then I was like, but who am I to tell her how to process her trauma? And then like, I like had that dialogue in my head. So I just thought mm -hmm. that was like a really cool way to highlight how trash society can be on a social media yeah. platform. Um, like what was the decision-making process for that? What like kind of went behind the really awesome scene where they were on live and the monster was attacking. Like those are just like two really things I got really excited about. And I would love to like hear how you came to that, what influenced that and all of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, you had mentioned that there, you know, you have topics that unfortunately like will stay relevant for a long time. And when we were in, as, as you know, we've been making this movie for a very long time. When you don't have money, you need time. And, and luckily Emma and I were passionate enough, um, to see it through all the way to completion. And, um, over the course of that time, there were several inflection points, you know, like when um, Ronan Farrow's article broke and Me Too really emerged, um, there was a lot of pressure, like, finish the film, we should get it out there, and now's our time. And and it was very enticing to try to get swept away in that. And uh, But where I landed was, if you're going to make a film about an issue that you're commenting on, it's not because it's trendy or that it's, like, in the zeitgeist. It's not your responsibility as an artist. And unfortunately, this issue will be evergreen for a while. Um, and so we tried to just stay committed to making something that we were proud of. And a huge piece that was missing was sort of a, a confrontation, not to give too many spoilers, between Jane and the monster. Um, and we had shot so many versions of it and nothing was quite working. And as we were editing um, and social media was really the outlet of survivors banning together in reality we wanted to sort of tap into that and so we started peppering some of it through the film um in ways that were just felt so so right and clicked almost immediately and then when we got to that scene the one that you're referring to the live scene um that we were sort of really plugged into that already um, as an identity and then emma surprised me like i was like in gl delighted glee that you know when we got to the set it was like ages after we had filmed everything else. And the second she busts out the phone, she does like a online personality, like a completely different one than Jane, the character that she had invented. And I was like the most delighted I had ever been on our set. I was like, oh, this is a gold. Like I didn't even 
like of course of course Jane also has like her online personality you know and so Mm -hmm. that was something Emma just brought to the table and and it it made I thought so so well in the film I will say that um some of the most uncomfortable things to shoot in this were when I was like going live or or recording a video for social media just as a person that Mm -hmm. was and sort of what you were saying Kat about how you were like, why would she go live right now? You know, I had similar apprehensions of just like, this feels gross. Like I hate the, I hate how vulnerable I feel just being like, Hey guys, what's up? You know, it's just like, (laughs) it's not, it's not me. Um, but at some point I was like, well, if we're going to do this, I have to like do what, you know, do what she would do, which is lure these people in with some sort of, personality I suppose um so yeah interesting yeah and it's kind of like a almost like a found footage feel for those moments Mm -hmm. too because Mm -hmm. it's like that's a real thing like you are you know creating the media and you're giving that yeah that camera excuse yeah (laughs) it's it's you know YouTube is the camera on Emma's laptop and the the live footage is Emma's phone footage really yeah um yeah so it is you were right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that just makes it even, you know, more real. And that's why it's kind of like, oh, I feel like so much more tense. Uh, yeah. Because like, this could be like, I could be tuning into that stream like very easily. Um, I did really love the the peppering in and just the community that was being built. And I, you know, definitely caught on to that of like this, you know, unionizing of them of being like a no like we're going to take back the night you know um Mm -hmm. and it it, you know made us wonder even like is there a sequel are we going to see this again do 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 they do we get to see them actively taking back the night (laughs) oh man we did one we want more (laughs) i'm so tired someone would have to really fund it properly for us to do it and is there, gee, is there the, that on the beach in Mexico? That was a hundred percent. Is there a, the button on this one? Did we ever shoot with the guns in the, in no. the trunk? No. I can't even remember. Still this time point. if you want, if you want, we can still. I, I mean, my, my hair looks like the wig in that last shot. So it I does. Think. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's still time. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is the problem. Like Emma was like, I have an idea. I'm like, oh, it's a great idea. We should do it. We should ask yeah. it. But we <laughs> did specifically. How soon can you get to LA? Should I come to you? Do I bring my camera? Like, <laughs> we did specifically write that that last scene with them heading to Mexico because we we're like, if we pick this up for a sequel, we're shooting this somewhere yeah. that does not smell nearly as bad as Skid Row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no place more delicious than Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I hope um, as people watch, and I'm sure um, at Popcorn Frights and, and, you know, wherever it lands after that, uh, will feel as excited at the end to be like, I, you know, I want more. Or even if it's not like, you know, the sequel to this, that it's uh, like a want for other horror media with the same intentionality where, you know, we have people telling the stories that they should be telling and not, you know, giving the same movie rights to the same people over and over again, Mm. uh, (laughs) who 
Don't worry, they'll still get work. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) but hopefully uh, this will inspire, you know, other filmmakers who um, are probably, you know, in their three of five years (laughs) battle of creating content uh, to know that it's totally worth it um, and that you are making an impact uh, in the the horror world. And it's it's something that's super needed. Um, So thank you both for working on this like we really really appreciated it i was like this is so awesome <laughs> like, I'm thank so you excited to exist. Um, thank awesome god this is recorded and i can go back and re-listen to that a couple times <laughs> <laughs> yeah, play as a mantra uh it could be the asmr yeah. for you yeah <laughs> yeah i'll go to sleep to it on a loop <laughs> you yeah. are worth it you did a great job. Um, do you have any last uh, words for our listeners and viewers um, about your film or about anything that you're you're working on and where people can kind of find you? I think you put the website up there, but we're takebackthemovie.com and we're also on social media at takeback yeah. the night movie. Take back the movie, take back the night movie um, on Instagram. Definitely check it out uh, to keep up as well. Like follow so that you can keep up with what's going, where you can find it if you can't catch it at these festivals. Um, and yeah, we're just sort of gearing up. So there will be more. Definitely stay tuned. Those are awesome. Thank you for for watching the movie and um, for saying such sweet things. It's it's really nice to hear. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Your thoughtful watch and your time is so is more than I ever thought I would get out of this film. Thank you guys so much for having us. That's oh, so yes. awesome. Yes. Thank yeah. you both for, for joining us. Okay. You were saying. Oh yeah. I was just saying like Gabe and I've been watching a horror movie a week for the past like three, four years. And wow. this is what, like, I love this movie. <laughs> so <laughs> I, awesome. not that I am an authority on all things movies, but you guys did a great job and you should be really proud of it. So thank you. Thank yes. you so much. Yes. Thank you for letting us pick your brains uh, and learn more and, and, you know, again, geek out about <laughs> how much we appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to see where it goes and what you all do next. We'll definitely be watching really closely. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you ever want to talk to us again or do anything, let us know. We'll, yeah. Matt, we'll be sure. excited awesome. and for it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kat, as we say, married. they'll eat your kids. <laughs>